0: We've been uh, continuing in Goshen's homeward. We call them the Ten Commandments, the Ten Blessings. And uh, someone sent me a, a clipping this week. I think it might have been Ron Kruger, it doesn't matter. But uh, Paul, you got that uh, up here for us? It's, it says, sure, I can, I can make a shortcut, but we'd get better cardio and burn more burn Burn more calories if we would just jog around the Red Sea, and this is the <laughs> Old Testament workout edition. And it isn't isn't that us with the, the Ten Commandments? It would be so much easier if we t- t- took the long way around rather than going where God calls us to do that looks impossible. And that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. So that's that's it. Sure, I can I can make a shortcut, Moses says, but we get better cardio and burn more calories if we would jog around it. That's not what God calls for. So let's look at what God does call for that is, again, like what we've just talked about in in Samson and uh, Elena, the great song of our victory is, is not in what we can do, but in what God calls us to be and experience because of His greatness. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, also in Deuteronomy 5. Listen to God's word. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God. Speaking to Moses. Speaking to the children of Israel who were challenged. And they'd already been across the Red Sea. Think about that. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. We could say "and, and through the Red Sea out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We're going to look at Punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word and richly write it upon our hearts so that we love it and want to live it. Let's pray. Father, how faithful you are. You did not call us to jog around the Red Sea. Instead, you called us to experience the impossible and then you did it. And you do it every day. And we pray that as we hear your word this day, that it would come not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A young man once dared ask his father dad have you ever considered adultery father said no son i have not why not the young man asked well son because i never wanted your mother to be tempted to violate the previous commandment that says thou shalt not kill Man. Now, we can, we can chuckle at this, but the reality is that to adulterate a relationship is to bring death to that relationship. And God is all about relationship. God says, let us make humanity in our own image. God does not intend for that relationship to be broken. It's one reason that God gave us marriage between a man and a woman. It's a precursor. It is to reflect what our relationship is to be with God until that day we stand before him face to face and no longer need any relationship but the relationship that we have with him. The reality is that the very best marriages, the very best marriages are secondary to our relationship with God. God made us for himself, and not everyone is intended to be married. That's all right. In fact, that is why St. Augustine said so well, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until when they rest in thee. And one of the tragedies of our time is that we seem to have leapfrogged from the stigma of Hester Prynne's Scarlet Letter. Do kids even read Scarlet Letter anymore? Scarlet Letter? Okay, good. Good to hear that. We've leapfrogged over Hester Prynne and her red A, which she did not as much deserve as her co-perpetrator. But we've leapfrogged over that Scarlet A that she had to wear in public to the point of not even using the word adultery anymore. The word adultery is not used in common language any longer. We've glamorized that this destructive nature and the destructive nature of sin outside and sex outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. And now instead of, of calling it adultery, you know what we call it? An affair. An affair. We call it an affair. I thought an affair was like a dinner party or something. <laughs> an affair. Isn't that, isn't that nice? No, it's not. And once again, once again, seeing us, knowing we would try to dress up sin with a, a, a nice little act, a word like an affair, once again, our perfectly loving God has been willing to do what is sometimes very hard for our, our human parents to do. God sits Israel and you and me down to have the talk. Remember the talk? Maybe you didn't have it. Maybe your parents didn't have the talk with you about human sexuality. But God cares enough in giving us our directions homeward to sit down and say, we need to talk about sexuality. And right in the middle of telling us how to grow up, God comes out and does it very simply by saying, do not commit adultery." And you notice he does not say, don't get caught. (laughs) God says, do not commit adultery. And do you know why? Do you know why God does not say, don't get caught? Because we will. (laughs) Because we will. But before we get caught by any human knowledge, God catches us. God catches us climbing over the fence. You see, God sees us and God catches our hearts. And another tragedy that culturally is that we have culturally climbed over God's fence so many times and in so many ways and dressed it up with phrases like an affair in terms of our sexuality that the, the heart of our culture has become numbed to God taking hold of our hearts when we twist the very meaning of what God has intended for us. We don't even know the meaning of adultery anymore. We really don't. Like so many words today, as Deacon Linda Poole and I were discussing this week, like so many words in our culture, we don't even know what adultery means. We, We use the word incredible. Awesome. Do you know what incredible means? It means it's unbelievable. We say things are unbelievable when in fact they are. We say things are awesome when it means that we should be in awe of the, re- the reality of what they are to describe chocolate cake. And adultery, we don't even know what it means. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we know technically what the word adultery means. That's why God could simply say, do not commit adultery. They didn't have to go, uh, can somebody give me a dictionary? I am going need to look up adultery. No. Very straightforward. Don't have adultery sexual relationship with someone to whom you are not married and yet adultery doesn't have any meaning anymore even though we know what it means because our culture thinks that adultery has no consequence no one gets hurt, come on it's a a victimless crime we call it But there is a victim when adultery takes place. We estrange ourselves from what God intended for us. We take ourselves far away from where our hope is meant to be. We estrange ourselves from God because we make an idol out of sexuality and we worship our feelings and our imaginings rather than the one who created us. We put ourselves at the center not another person, and certainly not God, and we say, I need to get my feelings, my needs met. I think it's tragic as an aside that way too many churches nowadays are building their whole ministry around felt needs. It's not about our felt needs. It's about our need for repentance. It's about our need to be restored and (coughs) redeemed by the God who says, I know what's best for you when when we let this happen when we put feelings at the center we run to a mirage and we've all seen mirages haven't we you've been driving out there we live in the desert and when we run to a, a mirage we begin to imagine just how it will feel when we finally get there we're thirsty we're dry we're parched Oh, there it is. Just up there. I'm almost there. I'll I'll get there. And when I do, I'll, I'll have this sensation. I will feel complete. I will be quenched. Everything will be filled in that has been missing. I will have what I'm longing for that person, that experience. But there's an interesting thing about mirages. Have you noticed? You get. To where you thought they were and what they're not there yeah maybe there's something beyond it what but when we get to that where that mirage we thought was where what we imagined might actually take place sadly it never does it never does take place it never fulfills the promise we thought it would in fact instead it hurts us it's the total opposite of what we thought it would be it does not satisfy us it estranges us even from that person quite often maybe from our profession from another from our true spouse and from God and though the Hebrew word for adultery is different whether we are single or married When we climb over God's fence of human sexuality that is intended to protect us, we find ourselves in a place that will break our hearts ultimately, if not more immediately. There's two words, adultery if we're in a a relationship, fornication if we're not. And the same is true because the one that we've truly violated is God before all others. The simple practical reason God says not to climb over this fence is because He says, I do not want your heart broken. I don't want your heart broken. God is not trying to keep us from joy or the satisfaction that God has intended for us. God says, I don't want your heart broken. You see, God is jealous. Not in the way we define jealousy. But rather, God longs for us only to have him for our sake. So that our lives will reflect what it means to belong only to the the one who is truly for us. And that is God. Now the devil, who is the father of lies, says just the opposite. The devil says, oh, you won't be heartbroken if you commit adultery. In fact, you'll be heartbroken if you don't have this experience. And that is born out of sin. And we have that burning feeling That the devil is placed there saying, you're going to be heartbroken if you don't get this, if you don't have this happen. But even if we get seduced into believing this, and we do get our heart broken, get this. Here's the good news of the gospel. We belong to a God who redeems and loves and heals and restores and wants to make us new. Praise God. The great tragedy in adultery is believing the devil's lie that we have to have a particular sensation that comes from a particular experience in life. But you know what? Our greatest satisfaction, our greatest satisfaction and peace and contentment and joy and shalom and even our greatest ecstasy in this life is in belonging only to God. As For as the Apostle Paul said, if for this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. If we think our joy is going to come through something of this life, we got another thing coming. And we do have another thing coming as we wait upon God to to fulfill our greatest longings. The roll call of the faithful in Hebrews 11 is filled with people. Some of them were married, some were not but who did not cave in to that lie of living and having what God says don't have. God knows what our true contentment and our shalom will be. God put this fence in place to protect us and to make us aware of just staying away from the idol of self and sensation. Most always, our immediate sense of adultery brings the idea of illicit sexual relations, as it should. Because adultery, in its fullest sense, means to twist the true and perfect nature and meaning of something it was never meant to be. Sexuality is a beautiful thing. When it is twisted, it can be tragic. No matter what our sensations or culture tell us, when this happens, we lose. Everyone loses. It's not a victimless crime. What was meant to be wonderful becomes devastating and ruins the best. Since sexuality is at the core of our identity and the physical source of our being, to associate sexual relations with someone who is not our husband or wife by biblical definition, with God's injunction against adultery is very precisely how God's word gets twisted Yes, adultery is a literal, physical act. But it is more than this, too. Over and over, God's word describes the fool as someone who allows himself or herself to be seduced into an adulterous relationship that ironically kills the person that is seeking it. And another, adultery is seductive. Many times when adultery takes place, it was never intended. And even when it it was, the cause was what I call HALT. H A L T. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And we were worshiping those feelings and those gnawings rather than bringing that sensation to God and saying, God, I'm hungry. God, I'm angry. God, I'm lonely. God, I'm tired. Or we wander away from God's ways because we listened to that halt and our weariness rather than God's call. Remember, what did the devil say in the very beginning? Try it. You'll like it. You won't die. Nothing will go wrong. And the next thing that happened was devastation for us all. We're not far from this form of adultery today. Though The more things change, the more things remain the same. And out of the core of adultery defined this way can come all other forms of twisting the truth about how we are to be related to God and one another. Adultery is changing who we are to be in all parts of life. How we are to think and act in relationship to God and one another. How we are to read God's word. How we are to worship. And too easily we can think that adultery is only about act, but Jesus' words about adultery not only speak to the desire to commit adultery, they speak of how we allow others by our overt and tacit endorsements either by not saying something or by acting to have the total opposite attitude. We allow people ourselves most of all to do something God never intended for us. You see, to adulterate something Webster says is to to corrupt, to debase, or make impure by the addition of a foreign or inferior substance to prepare for sale by replacing more valuable with less valuable ingredients. It's cheap imitation, tawdry, damaging, devastating. That's what adultery is. What God gave us in these simple words, you shall not commit adultery. And what God paid the price for in giving his own son is a gift that is not to be adulterated, but treasured. We are not to try and find some kind of substitute for the only one who could substitute for us. But that's exactly what adultery is. We try to substitute for something that we think is missing. And the good news is that God's grace is the gift that will redeem and restore what our sin has adulterated and cheaply painted over God's grace is the power that reaches into our situations that we think are ruined beyond our repair and grace says let's make this new God is not in the business of slapping putty over something God makes things new God wants to untwist what has been distorted because God loves us Whatever that adultery may be, whether it is our action or something that someone has done to us, maybe we've been the victim of an adulterous experience where someone is, has cheated God and us. Whatever it is, God wants us not to be seduced into thinking that God's love is not enough. As we sang this morning, it's more than enough. God's love is more than enough. Here's the truth it is healing. It is correcting. God's love is surgical. It can untangle the most diabolical, and that means devilish, mess. And God wants to do this to us and through us. God wants to make us witnesses that that whatever has happened, God can heal and redeem. That's why God cared enough to have the talk with us and not expect us to just figure it out. To warn us that adultery lurks for us. And that is why God is willing and was willing to come in person to give his own son to restore what the twisted message of adultery in all of its ugly form has done to us and through us. The French novelist Balzac put it so poignantly. It is as absurd to say that a man can't love one woman or a woman can't love one man all the time as it is to say the violinist needs several violins to play one piece of music <laughs> you see God knew that we would be tempted to to seduction God knew we would get weary or bored or distracted and God sent his own son to show what it means To be loved and what it means to love without breaking the promise to say, I will love you to the end. On the night in which he was betrayed, John tells us, Jesus, loving his own, he loved them to the end. I'll die, he said, before I let go of you, before I go anywhere else, before I take a way out. Pastor Mark Buchanan describes how we are called away, subtly seduced away from God's desire for fidelity in when he's quoting a book called The Myth of Greener Grass and he tells the story of a group of a dozen married women who were having lunch together and one woman asked how many of you have been faithful to your husbands throughout your marriage? Only one woman out of the twelve raised her hand. At home that evening one of the women who didn't raise her hand told her husband about the lunch, the question, her reaction. But she, she added, but I, honey, I, I have been faithful. Her husband said, then why didn't you raise your hand? Say, I, I have been. She said, this is tragic. This is our culture. I was ashamed. I was, I was ashamed that I would be the only one that had been faithful. My friends, that's our calling as the body of Christ, to be the ones who can say, yeah, by God's grace, I've been faithful. By God's grace, I've been faithful, not just to the one that God has placed in my life, but more more significantly, because not all of us have someone in our lives. To raise our hands and say, I've been faithful to the one who gave his life for me. Buchanan said, I was reminded of This while reading Wade Clark Roof's new book, Spiritual Marketplace, Baby Boomers and the Remaking of American Religion. Only the question around the table isn't how many of you have been faithful to your husbands. The question is how many of you would call yourselves religious? According to this research, a small percentage of Americans today would raise their hands not because they don't attend religious services and engage in religious practices on a regular basis, but because this is tragic. They're ashamed to say, I follow Jesus Christ. Very few Americans consider themselves religious anymore. No, as everyone from New Age aficionados to born again charismatics to mainstream middle American believers are quick to point out, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But the reality is Christianity is not about being religious. You see, religion, as we've discussed many times, is about our trying to reach God. Christianity, by its very definition, is God coming all the way, 110% to find us when we didn't have a clue where we needed to be. God climbs over the fence to come and get us where we are out of bounds. This is the watchword anymore that baby boomers and our cultures are facing. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. And the question we need to ask is, do you know the God who loved you so much that he gave his own son to make you his one and only? Someone you know needs to hear that. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's me. Maybe we need to be reminding one another, all you need is all he is, and all he is is all we have. Someone needs to see you raise your hand that says, I trust in God. I know Jesus Christ personally. I know the one who laid down his life so that I would not be tempted to break any of his rules. God wants to use us living this way for our sake and for his glory. God blessed us with these directions and fulfilled them in the life of Jesus because he loves us. Someone needs to hear from you that the mirage of violating God's covenant is just that, a mirage, and that it will not only leave them disappointed, it will leave them devastated. Someone needs to hear from you That they're not real. But God's love is. Someone needs to be set free from the adultery of trying to substitute something less for God's love, something even deadly. Maybe that someone is you. Maybe that person you don't think, maybe that person you or that other person don't think that God's love can heal what has happened or what is missing in your life. And that's where the devil steps in and says, that won't be enough. It will be enough. It will be enough. God came in person to show us that his love is more than enough. And God's love can overcome adultery in any form. Maybe we've twisted the meaning of Scripture. Maybe we've ignored Scripture. Maybe we've said, I don't need to be in a relationship with God. I can do it my way. God can heal that. And God wants to use you and me to show what Jesus told us. Wants to show a wicked and adulterous generation how real and complete God's love is. So let's think about this, my friends. Let's enjoy it. Let's embrace it. Let's let God embrace us. Let's live it out because Jesus died and rose again to make it possible for us to be true to the one who loves us more than life itself. Amen. Lord, we are your family, and like families, we sometimes don't like to talk about delicate stuff. We like to just maybe sweep it under the carpet or keep it to ourselves, but your love is greater than that, and you came right out and said what needed to be said, and we thank you for that. And we praise you that you came in person to show us what the healing is for all of our infractions, all of our violations, for that very condition that causes us to want something That is a cheap imitation. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to be the one who paid the ultimate price. Teach us to celebrate that and live in it when temptation tries to take us another way. In your glorious and precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's stand up. Back to that wonderful Heidelberg Catechism. And let's answer two essential questions. What is it that the seventh commandment teaches us? That all unchastity is condemned by God, and that we should therefore detest it from the heart and live chaste and disciplined lives, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Does God forbid nothing more than adultery and such gross sins in this commandment? Since both our body and soul are a temple of the Holy Spirit, It is his will that we keep both pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever may excite another person to them. May we praise God for that one true love that is divine and excels all others as we sing our closing praise.